0: This Cap Times podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colagard. Learn more at exactsciences.com.
1: To answer your question, I think it'll be weird for a server to come up to you with a mask on, but there's no other option at this point. And hopefully, in a year or two years, we'll say, Remember that time when you went out to restaurants and
2: everyone wore a mask? I'm Lindsay Christians,
0: and I'm Chris Lay.
2: This is The Corner Table, a podcast about food and drink in Madison, Wisconsin, produced by the Capital Times. We are recording remotely for now.
0: So the last time that uh, Caitlin Simnick was on the podcast, uh, she and Food Fight were getting ready to open Bar Coralini. You can track that episode down in our archives, but for now, I'll just say that it's pretty obvious a handful of things have changed a bit since then.
2: A couple of months ago, COVID closed restaurants everywhere, but Dane County is now in phase one of its reopening plan, so we wanted to hear directly about what restaurants were thinking as they decide how and when to reopen their dining rooms to the public.
0: With masks and distancing, dining out is going to be pretty weird for a while. Uh, To that point, uh, Caitlin has some great behind-the-scenes insight into where restaurants are coming from and where she sees things going in the coming weeks and months.
2: Give your mask a breather and give a listen. Caitlin, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm just going to read a short bio of you here. I shortened this up from the one that was on the Food Fight website. Caitlin Simnick is the chief operating officer of Food Fight Restaurant Group, which operates 20 restaurants in the greater Madison area from Monty's Blue Plate Diner, that was the first one, to Eldorado Grill, Canteen, and Fresco. Caitlin began her career with Food Fight in 2001 as a server at the newly opened Johnny Delmonico's. She moved into leadership in 2006 after she graduated from UW-Madison and became a managing partner in 2012. Caitlin was instrumental in designing Deluxe, Bassett Street Brunch Club, and Cento. As of May 26th, Madison and Dane County Public Health say that restaurants and bars are allowed to open for limited dine-in service with social distancing measures in place. It's been about a year since, Caitlin, you were on our podcast for the Making a Restaurant series. We were talking about Bar Corolini. Uh, A lot has changed since then. So much. Yeah. (laughs) So I wanted to just check in with you. Uh, At the start of Safer at Home back in March, Food Fight furloughed about 750 employees. And I was wondering, you know, have you received paycheck protection for those restaurants? And have some of those employees come back? So yes, in in
1: March, mid-March, we started to see sales decline. Actually, it wasn't even safer at home yet. You know, the governor just put capacity restrictions on our restaurants. And we knew um, pretty quickly that we were going to have to act quickly because sales were declining quickly. And we knew we'd have to pivot to a delivery and carry out model. So we had to make the tough decision to furlough. You're right, 750. Actually, I think it was closer to almost a 1000 employees by the time all was said and done. Um, We told the employees, we hoped everything was going to be temporary. And, you know, right now we're looking at it that way, too. We're hopeful. But we only kept on the general manager, the chef, and anywhere from about three to seven hourly employees in order to handle carry out and delivery business and give everyone a day off and the rest, um, most of them claimed unemployment, some had other jobs. So we did apply for the PPP loans, and we received them at every location. But um, depending on how much you know about the PPP, and a lot of people can't get it figured out, and we had a hard time getting it figured out, is it doesn't work especially well for restaurants. And that's because there's eight-week protection as soon as you get the funds. And so we got those funds in April. But it would you know, just to protect paychecks and bring employees on in order to hopefully get some money of our loan forgiven felt extremely risky for us and for a lot of restaurants around the country. So we've been hanging on to those PPP loans, not using them. And now our eight weeks is almost up just as we're starting to hire people back. And we know that maybe only a portion of it, maybe very little will be forgiven. Now it's, there are some changes you know, that the Senate could potentially approve in the coming days. We're hopeful that it will extend that forgiveness window. It was initially proposed a 24-week um, forgiveness window, which would be a game changer for us because we would be able to use almost all of our loan money, we think, on payroll as we start to ramp up our openings. Now, from what I read today, I think it's probably going to be closer to 16 weeks if that, but we'll take what we can get. So we're thankful for it, but it didn't really mean that we kept any more employees on right out of the gates because we had to make those quick decisions in order to lose the least amount of money. And our goal was to do just that, to lose less money by being open than by being closed altogether. That was the goal.
0: Yeah. I know that there are some. Tom Colicchio is like the biggest name I think that's been associated with some of the national, you know, restaurant advocacy groups pushing. Is there anybody in in the state that's trying to to you know rally uh, Congress people or any any other uh, state level representatives?
1: You know, I think a lot of independent restaurateurs around our city have been reaching out to representatives, and we were lucky enough to have a call with Tammy Baldwin about two weeks ago to just speak on behalf of Food Fight. But you know, we obviously said that what's affecting us is affecting everyone, and in some ways, because of um, we have a wide group of investors, we might know even more than other restaurants might know about the PPP. So we did express concerns, and she was on the same page with us, but. I think a lot of us are sort of reaching out as we can um, when we have the opportunity to do so. And I did reach out to my restaurant friends before I had the call with Tammy to see if what I was thinking that I wanted to talk to her about were their same concerns. But yes, the Tom Colicchio and the independent restaurant, it's called Save Restaurants. That's a big one that I would I recommend a lot of people follow.
2: They've been doing a ton of, like, webinars and, you know, really rallying. I'm getting emails from them, I think, every day Mm -hmm. about the stuff that they're doing. And it's it's at once kind of exciting because there's this national lobbying for independent restaurants, which is cool. But also, like, I'm looking at, like, what they're trying to do and what is actually happening, and that's been frustrating. It seems like it's going slower than it should, especially given the impact that independent restaurants have on the economy So I I can imagine that that's that's complicated uh, in its own way. I mean, complicated, and it's just so difficult to
1: move forward when everyone tells you they don't know yet. The banks, accountants, and even peers can't figure it out. So we're just left waiting, and we don't want to be the victims here. So we're just trying to do our best to hold on and staff appropriately and control our expenses, and we hope that down the road there is you know, some sort of relief in a stabilization fund or maybe some fixes to the PPP.
2: What have you learned about takeout and delivery since the start of the pandemic? Has it gotten smoother? Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, <laughs> it was just a nightmare to start.
1: And, you know, restaurant people are creative and, um, and you know, we roll with the punches. But the public didn't always know, you know, we had to communicate to the public a lot. Please don't all order on Friday. Our phones will get bogged down. You might run into delays. We're supposed to be social distancing in our dining room and kitchen with our employees, and we can't have 40 people working all on top of each other just trying to fulfill fish fry orders at Avenue Club, for instance. <laughs> so, we, we um, you know, Avenue, always, for, as an example, Avenue always did fish fry every day of the week, and we really had to make sure we got our messaging out there to say, hey, who even knows what day of the week it is, anyways? We so try on a Tuesday, but we did learn a lot, um, and most of it was just in improving our processes. So, having a Google Voice number where people could text when they pulled into our parking lot that helped us not, you know, bog down our phone lines, and having specific roles for each employee so they weren't crossing paths as often, and they could just sort of specialize in order taking. Or running food into the cars. We had to quickly put signage that helped our customers understand what was happening because some of our customers are really savvy and look it up online and others just pull up and try to come right in the restaurant when we're trying to control customer traffic. So that was more of the learning curve was that sort of thing. But I do think we have it down and then guess what? Everything's going to change again because that's how it's been going. So we just try to stay calm and like I said, roll with the punches. Just try our best and try to learn quickly and and be as safe as possible. So we're doing our best.
0: Yeah. Are there any steps being taken for any of the restaurants to even begin to maybe open the door? Uh, I guess literally and figuratively to in-house dining.
1: Yeah, we're gonna try it, um, and we're not going to do all twenty restaurants because that is just the kiss of death for sure. So. How Food Fight works is we have a number of managing partners, each sort of oversee their own cluster of restaurants, and we didn't want to um, have one person just completely overwhelmed with reopening of five or six restaurants. So that sort of drove our decision on how we'd open each um, restaurant and at what point. And capacity was a big one, outdoor dining, and just how many staff we'd need to rehire some of our employees have gone out and gotten other jobs so when we sent recall letters and tried to hire them back they didn't come back and that also dictated our um you know sort of our opening plan so this week we believe we'll open about three to four restaurants in limited capacity and then we'll go from there we we although we haven't other you know tentative dates we just know that we're going to need to assess after a week of being open to say Is everything going well? Have we thought of everything? Public health has been extremely helpful in sending us checklists and things that we've been working off of for now a month, but you know, you have to practice it and see how it is in real life. And that's what we're going to do. So yeah, the answer is yes. We're going to try it and see how we feel, see how customers react and if they actually come in and, See what our sales are. You know, are people yeah. going to dine in, and or is our carryout going to be enough to sustain us at a twenty five percent model?
0: Yeah, it seems like that's the that's as big of an issue for restaurants as the like rebuilding the infrastructure aspects of it is. Expecting people to actually come back because you don't want to go to all this work and then only have a quarter, maybe at best, you know, of your turnover, you know, in in a night. It just seems like that's that's a, a a huge consideration on your, on your part.
1: Absolutely. And so right now we are lucky that we are in this PPP eight week window. So if, as we're ramping up our labor, um, we fully understand that we're going to have more labor than probably we need for the sales that we have. Now that is something to consider because you certainly don't want to have extra employees because, you know, more people equals more risk. So we're, it's a balancing act for sure. So we're hoping that curbside carryout and delivery stay strong. We're expecting it to. We know that not everyone and many people aren't going to want to dine in public right off the bat. Sure. So um, we'll, we'll test it out. Now, if phase one goes on for a very long time or we go back to a 25 percent model, do I know if it'll make sense for all of our restaurants to be open at that level I don't know it, and I don't don't think it will make sense. Yeah, so we'll see. The fifty percent seems easier. But for some of our restaurants that are really tiny, when if you have to separate tables by six feet, we'll be at twenty five percent forever until there's a vaccine or until they say we can fully reopen. Yeah, so it'll. I, we'll have to wait and see is the thing. And, and we'll test it out. We'll test out a few this week and see how it goes.
0: Yeah. Someplace like Chento, you know, is a little bit more suited for, I mean, I I want to get back for that boozy brunch as much as anybody. <laughs>
1: Thank you. We'd love for you to. But guess what? We're not going to open for brunch right away. We're going to have limited hours because we don't, again, we're just trying to figure it out. So yeah, we would love to. I think a lot of our restaurants will open for evening hours, mostly to start. Mm -hmm. We have hopes of opening a brunch like a cento and Avenue, does a strong brunch business and the diners for sure. You know, I miss brunch. I, that's probably the biggest thing for me too. So, so we'll have limited hours. You can expect um, smaller menus for sure. We need to streamline a bit in the kitchen and just make sure that we aren't ordering a ton of food that is going to waste. So not just at our restaurants, I would say as you go around out around town, don't be surprised if maybe your favorite dish isn't there to start, but we'll try and grow back into it. And in some cases, maybe we never will. Maybe a smaller menu will work for us at some of our restaurants and we're open to that
2: too. Which restaurants are the ones that are going to be reopening this week, at least a little bit, like for dining? So Luigi's is going to
1: open. Cento will be opening just because they have a nice big footprint and we feel good about opening that. Bassett Street Brunch Club is opening only for outdoor dining um, right now, they have several contracts providing meals for DHS. So they've been quite busy, but they like to ease into it by doing just some outdoor dining. And Deluxe will be opening as well. So we're going to start with those. All of our restaurants will continue to operate with the carryout and delivery. So they'll all be open in that way, but the dining rooms will open in those four restaurants.
2: I was wondering about, like, say, a specific restaurant like Bar Corlini, for example, which has now been open for about a year. You were getting ready to open it last time we chatted. What would need to happen before a restaurant like that, which I I think is is not as big as some, but also not as small as some. What needs to happen before it can reopen for some dine-in? So I mentioned that checklist from public health. We're really operating off
1: of that to make sure we have um, hygiene policies or or retraining in some aspects just because washing our hands we already did. But what's common sense to you or me might not be for everyone. So we're making sure that we touch on hygiene, cleanliness. We have to have um, screening of our employees to make sure that we're they understand how to watch for symptoms. And we have some screening before they work each day. If, someone, if there's a COVID illness in our workplace, we have to have a plan for that. So we developed that again, um, streamlining our menus a bit to make sure that our offerings will work well for dine-in. And you might see some carry-out menus being slightly different. So at Coralini, we'd be looking at that. We've done some like fix-up projects at some of our locations because we haven't had customers. That's sort of a perk of not having customers. We'd be able to do some things like painting or any sort of deep cleaning that we needed to do. And then, you know, Talking about masks, training our employees on masks and just getting ready for all of these new considerations and requirements. So it's a lot in training and procedures and protocols and making sure that everyone understands that and also communicating it to our customers. So they hopefully trust that our restaurants are safe to dine in. So we'll be uh, making our websites easier to navigate with just the information that you need. And you'll actually, a handful of ours went live today, like Canteen and Cento. And we will be putting up our safety precautions on the website too, just for some customer messaging. I mean that's it in a nutshell, but you know, we've been working on it for months. It's just a lot in making sure your communication is really tightened up and that your every single employee understands what we're going to do. And their safety is really important. And and before they even, a lot of our employees came back, they wanted to know, what are you going to do as my employer? How are you going to make it safe? So we knew we had to have that ready to go when we asked them to come back.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences. Join the Madison-based team working to lead earlier cancer detection. Visit exactsciences.com to view the company's hundreds of open jobs. You mentioned the some of the menus maybe being, you know, shortened a little bit, but there there have since been some additions like uh, I know at Bar Corolini, we've got the cocktail kits that are going out. Are there any other, I guess, innovations or improvisations maybe (laughs) that um, that have, have, you know, kind of uh, across other food fight restaurants?
1: Yeah, probably improvisations is the better term than innovation because just sending a take-and-bake lasagna home isn't groundbreaking, but it certainly helped us. So uh, just things like that when we started to see how customers wanted to eat and maybe they wanted to order something and have another meal in a few days or be able to freeze a dish and bake it later. So we've done a lot of the either meal kits or take-and-bakes like a many restaurants around our city and country. So we we did that cocktail kits helped us and really what it did is it was more for liquidity to sort of unload some product sure. at a reasonable price and hopefully, you know, give customers a taste of a cocktail they loved. We'll be introducing improved cocktail kits. We had to move quickly, so a Negroni kit for Bar Corolini, while it's great, you know, it is just sort of three liquors. <laughs> you know, it's it's something that it doesn't take that much of a recipe card. And you, you know, you could in fact go to a liquor store, although our prices were very close. What we hope to do is to say, okay, if you love the Fiore, a cocktail at Cento, we'll be able to batch all those ingredients up for you with a smaller bottle of liquor. So maybe two people get only one to two cocktails because you don't always need 30 cocktails. Although maybe sometimes. (laughs) Speak for yourself. Yeah. So so I, I think we'll be moving more into that, especially as our dining rooms open up and we have the bartenders there to prep those ingredients. We'll be able to have some different offerings in, in that realm. And, you know, it's too bad and you never know if this will change, but, I don't have high hopes, but it's too bad we weren't able to have pre-batched or pre-made cocktails sold in our city, in other states and cities. Um, that was a you know a really important part of sales for restaurants. As we all know, liquor sales is a huge part of, of our business. So it's it's a shame we um, couldn't do that. We asked we we were asking city and state officials for it, and just we weren't heard. It would have been nice if you could have grabbed a frozen margarita to take home and drink, or even just any kind of just pre-made cocktail in a single form. <laughs> yeah,
2: This is the only bummer about not living in Ohio anymore is apparently they're allowed to do that. And my my cousins, they go to this kind of terrible Mexican restaurant called Loma Linda's uh, by the airport in Toledo, and they're allowed to get X number of margaritas. It's like two per order or something like that. I don't even know, but my cousin would just come home with these plastic things full of margarita. And I thought, we're Wisconsin. How are we behind Ohio on this? I know. I saw one of my friends
1: had a frozen margarita walking around on the streets of New York. And I've and especially in this warm weather, it's all I want. So it is rather depressing, but I actually think that's a reason why we will see some customers dine in is that cocktail culture, but a well-made cocktail culture. I would like a well-made drink and I can Google recipes, but I don't always have all of the ingredients or the time. So it, I am excited to have a drink at a bar again, whether it's in a limited capacity with a reservation or when we can all gather around as a group, I'm okay with it either way. But I understand, again, people have to kind of assess their comfort level and risk level when they're dining out.
2: I made myself a Negroni the other night and it seemed like it should be simple and it wasn't very good. And I don't know what I did wrong. <laughs> I was very There's some magic.
1: There's some magic in the restaurant world for sure, because mine never tastes as good either. Well, TLC.
2: It's true are there a couple of or more than a couple I don't know of food fight restaurants that you think are poised to be the most successful like in terms of this transition and also are there any that are undergoing renovation right now or like that you're cha- really changing things up that are going to look really different when we see them again so the ones I think are
1: poised for just for a little bit more success right off the bat, and success just meaning just a little higher sales than we have right now, would be the ones with the bigger footprints, ones where we can spread people out and we won't only have 10 people in the door. So uh Johnny Delmonico's Cento Avenue Club, those larger spaces, I think will be good for us. And I'm craving fine dining. I think, you know, although not everyone has the money to do it right now, there will be some people that want that that nice service um again. so aside from large footprint indoors, our outdoor patio restaurants, I believe will be quite successful. so we we intend to open fresco in a couple of weeks for outdoor dining and we have some a nice big you know sculpture garden to spread out in and even a restaurant like everly or or Deluxe even who has an outdoor patio. I think those will be good for us. So, most of our restaurants aren't profiting, and in fact, only about two are. And those are the um, you know, Miko or Luigi's, the ones that are just carry out and delivery driven restaurants have done okay. We haven't seen a ton of change there, but all the rest took a huge hit. And in terms of um, like a renovation or a rebrand, you're not going to be surprised at our restaurants now. But once we see how customers dine and what the, you know, what customer habits or get some requests, sure. We might change. It might be the way we serve tables. If it's counter service versus um, wait staff. and just like restaurants around the country, as our leases come up, do I know if we'll resign everyone or do I think we will probably not? I mean, there will be some casualties down the road, but that's not necessarily because we couldn't make it right now. It's just, do we see that thriving for years again? uh, I don't want to just guess at that. So we are opening the way we've always been, you know, up to a point. Um, And so I don't think you're going to really be surprised in our restaurants, but I know other restaurants are taking this time
2: to launch something new. We're just trying to do what we've been doing best. I wanted to ask about feeding the frontlines because we'd sort of talked about that actually on a previous podcast and we have I've written about it. But I want to know maybe you could just talk a little bit about what it is and talk about how it's going. Sure. So
1: this was something we saw around the country and decided to model after other Feed the Frontline projects, but it helped our community and our employees. What happens is, is that um, our customers can purchase a 10 meal care package of breakfast or lunch through our website. And we work with hospitals, clinics, grocery stores, or even upon customer request, if they really wanted to get their meals to a certain organization, Um, we've done Second Harvest. So if they purchase a care package, we totaled all of those care packages on a weekly basis. And then our event coordinator, Lisa Loop, she basically sent it out to our restaurants to consolidate, prepare the food, and then we sent it off to different organizations. And so obviously, we're feeding people that are working their butts off in high stress, high risk position. And it's a way for our customers to thank them. And it really helped us during a time of need too, because it gave our restaurants a boost in sales and a way for us to fill employees' hours and keep us afloat. So although it wasn't a super profitable model, and we again, we never really had that intention, it just gave us work. It gave us work to do. So we saw, I mean, in the first couple of weeks, we were donating 3,000 meals a week, or we were getting donations for 3,000 meals a week. It has tapered off. I think that's just the nature of it. We'll still keep it going. But I, you know, a lot of people who wanted to get their thank yous out right away, I believe they made their purchases. So we've had it, our donations or sales, whatever you want to call it, have gone down. But we've been so thankful for it. And I'm glad we could get it up and running quickly. And, you know, I know other um, restaurants and catering groups around our city are doing it. And I think it's just great.
2: Yeah. I I was thinking about how, hospitality might look different when we all come back. And you've spent your career in hospitality. I'm curious about how you're thinking about this restaurant experience that we might have when we come back. You know, having your server with masks and gloves or with a face shield, um, having everyone have to be really far away from each other. Everybody gets nervous if someone coughs in the dining room. Have you been thinking about this? What have you been reading? And how are are you feeling about it? You know, I feel that
1: for a lot of people's mental health getting out and dining with friends and family will be important but again it's not going to be for everyone and the experience is going to look different for some time we have to open cautiously and slowly and and who knows this could be a way of life until there's like until there is a vaccine or or until we see how our city can open up safely and and what the impact of this is so to answer your question, I think it'll be weird for a server to come up to you with a mask on, but there's no other option at this point. And maybe some restaurants will feel like that isn't the right way. That isn't what hospitality is all about. I I feel a little differently because I do. We're here to serve people, and I do want to do it in a safe way. But seeing customers. Makes us happy. It's why we're in the business, but we'll do it in a safe manner. And I don't, do I think most people will wear face shields? Probably not. So I think masks is, the, is what you'll see most employees wearing. And even gloves, we won't be wearing them aside from touching ready to eat food because really you need to be washing your hands a lot. And unless you're changing your gloves nonstop, which probably isn't realistic and it's certainly not efficient. I just don't think it's that safe. So we've been, you know, reading and talking to public health about this. And so you won't see us in anything but a mask and just washing our hands a lot between every customer interaction, anytime a computer is touched, before all food is dropped. So uh, you might experience slower service as we're trying to learn everything, you know, develop habits and new processes. But I... I don't know. I just feel I feel like we'll get back to normal and I don't want to say a new normal, but I feel optimistic. we'll get through it. It'll look a little different for a while and and hopefully in a year or two years, we'll say, remember that time when you went out to restaurants and everyone wore a mask. Oh, but we'll yeah. get I don't know I'm okay. <laughs> I, I, we have I want to give it a shot. Yeah. food fight wants to give it a shot and we'll see how it goes. and if we have to change, we'll change. Yeah. Well, it's like
0: you mentioned earlier, and I totally agree with it, but Madison is a very supportive city when it comes to restaurants and the people who go out are, I don't, I mean, I don't want to say like well-trained, but people know how to act. They know how to tip. They know how to, you know, be respectful. And it seems like of of all the places I've ever lived, you know, Madison seems like the one that is going to be the best suited for everyone to be patient with the process and not, you know, be a bunch of whiny jerks about it, so yeah. But um, yeah. One thing I was wondering is, is there anything that you have been ordering, like getting from like a food fight restaurant, uh, recently, or anything that's like jumped out, uh, for delivery or pickup that that's really uh, you know, been been delicious
1: for you? I mean, I've been on the rotation, so I <laughs> and and it's th- the reason why I'm wearing leggings today and no jeans. Um, so <laughs> but, um, I mean, i I really have been switching it up. Of the food fight restaurants, my go-tos are, I like the canteen taco pack because I can make tacos in one night and then you can use the ingredients to make other things, you know, over the coming days.
2: Three meals. We got three meals out of that thing. I Maybe more. I had yeah. stuff in my fridge forever. The thing with the canteen taco pack though, dude, like there's a lot of little things and I didn't always remember what they were. And so I'd be okay. like, is this the spicy one?
1: And then I'd be like, oh yeah, it is. <laughs> you know, it. Um, there are little, like all these little accompaniments that, yeah, it's it's good. But yeah, you're right. There's a lot of it. But we, I mean, I, I like it. And I think the pro tip is to order extra tortillas um, because you will have some, you know, more filling. So I've been doing that a lot. Um, Cento has a kind of a family meal meant for four, but it's just me and my husband. So again, we like to eat a little bit of it and freeze it for later. But beyond, I really honestly have eaten at all of our locations many times and we just <laughs> go to a few every week. El Dorado Grill just reopened. So I've been excited for that because we started to do a little bit heavier barbecue menu. And I felt like that wasn't really in the food fight portfolio. So it was something I've been craving. You can you can only eat so much Italian Mexican food. It's like for us once I kind of got through the rotation a few times I was looking for new things. And I've been a big fan of red sushi. I like their system of pickup and you know, I have strong sushi cravings. That's something I generally eat out a lot. So um, we've been trying to support food fight and non-food fight restaurants because we know everyone's having a tough time. Yeah.
2: The takeout from Papavaro was amazing. It was awesome. just incredibly yeah. good. And the thing I realized I start to miss is coursing. So like with <laughs> Papavaro, I was like, okay, well, this is our, <laughs> this is our first course and I'm going to put it on a plate so we feel fancy. Yep. For Sure. And then we like put our pastas in like very, very low heat in the oven. Then I like, turned the oven off as soon as it came up to temp, because I was like, it's just going to like the ambient heat, keep it a little bit warm. And it's going to, I just, I miss courses. Well, it's true. You kind of want to spread
1: out your dining experience because what the heck else is there to do? Yep. I mean, so it is, I mean, I, on a Friday or Saturday, I do try and make it feel like that. And we have a cocktail and then maybe try and eat dinner a little bit later, but we You know, in terms of customer habits, especially when this whole shelter at home or safer at home order came into effect, we noticed everyone was eating at like five o'clock. I think people were eating and going to bed early. I mean, there it's, you know, because there's just not that much to do. So, uh, even our delivery partner Eat Street said they completely turned off late night delivery because people weren't going to the bars and they weren't, weren't eating delivery at like two in the morning. Yeah. Everyone was eating at four or five and six o'clock. So it'll be interesting to me as we get into the summer months where people generally dine later, what, you know, what we'll see in terms of carry out and as people come into our restaurants, we're, predicting that people will spread themselves out in reservations because maybe they won't want to dine at seven o'clock thinking that everyone else will so we are some of our hours I think will be till 10 even though you know for our delivery model that isn't the way people are ordering so people can eat late
2: late yeah. night late night late night I mean <laughs> I I eat later than most of this city and it, it's like a constant thing of like well, You know, I have my places that I usually go, but like the more, the more late night options we have, the happier I am. Cause I'm, I'm basically, yeah, I feel the same way. And because of this whole
1: carry out delivery model and the fact that people couldn't have staff forever and ever and ever all, you know, for a shift, You you see most restaurants close at seven thirty. I mean, if you don't get your delivery order in right now, you're not going to get. You're going to have to eat mac and cheese out of a box or whatever you've got at home. Yeah,
2: (laughs) that was another thing that I missed is just the ability to be like, "Ah, I don't feel like cooking. Let's just go out, which you can't really do now. Yep.
1: Yeah, I do feel like people plan their week, or they say usually um, from people I talk to, they say we always go out now, or we we go get carry out on Friday Saturday only or on Mondays and Wednesdays. So we've been seeing some trends with different restaurants and how the neighborhood orders, but yeah, I I do think there's just more planning involved with your groceries and trying to use up groceries a lot of times too.
0: Oh yeah. So
1: it's, it's been, it's been a weird wild ride, but we're just trying
2: to get through it. Yeah. (laughs) As restaurants look to get through this, start reopening, start recovering from the shutdowns. Are there changes that you hope to see, like taking maybe a bit of a higher view of your industry, things that you'd like to see different on the other side of this? You know, I wish I've like been
1: thinking that far ahead, but I haven't so much. I do think that I'd love to see as an operator, just people being okay with smaller menus, not expecting 50 items on a menu. Some of it is because, you know, obviously labor costs are high and the more you have to staff your kitchen, the thinner your margin is, but maybe we'd have fewer people and be able to pay them more. And in this sort of labor market, it's been tricky. So, I mean, right now it's tricky, but even prior to this is, yeah. you, you all know that the, you know, hiring people has been difficult. So maybe just operating in a smarter way. I think this gives us some opportunity to try out different ways of setting up our kitchen, prepping. And we hope to come out of this with, I don't want to just say a smaller menu, but better quality. Yeah. Can we support our local farmers? Can we more? Can we, if you're going to only have a Reuben and three other sandwiches at a diner, it better be the best damn Reuben you've ever had. So we've been shrinking and now we really need to perfect. So I, you know, we We know we can't just do it all at once, but we'll be looking at, we've been looking at our recipes, our plating and our ingredients. So I hope that's going to, you know, maybe it's something you'll see at all the restaurants, but you'll definitely see it at ours. And who knows, just, you know, as a new restaurant comes into town, will it be carry, will it be carry out and delivery and pickup window driven? That might be what you see from Food Fight, potentially. I mean, should we have a place that has a drive-through window? I've thought about it a lot for Sure. Because there is a convenience factor with not getting out of your car, you know, especially people that have children. We've heard, you know, it's hard to get the kids out of the car, wait for carryout, and they're screaming, and just being able to drive through a drive-through. So, I don't know. Something that is a little alarming to me is the amount of disposables that are being used. Yeah. And and I know that's a trade-off because we're caring about our health, but the health of our environment. There's been so much trash. So I know, obviously, that with less driving, I mean, there's been things that are helping the environment, but the amount of trash that we're creating is just crazy. So Mm -hmm. I hope we'll come up with better ways of packaging and we will be looking at that. And maybe it just goes to your point, Lindsay, of the canteen taco pack. I think about that when there's 80 million little containers, how we do that in a better way.
2: I definitely thought that too. Yeah. Well, Chris, any more questions?
0: I think I'm good. Yeah, this has been wonderful.
2: Thank you so much for coming back. Thanks for having me.
1: I always have fun time talking to you, so I appreciate it.
2: This has been The Corner Table, a podcast about food and drink in Madison, Wisconsin, produced by the Capital Times.
0: Our theme music was composed by Patrick Christians, and the show is edited by Natalie Yar.
2: As always, you can subscribe to The Corner Table wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review if you like it. Follow us on Facebook and check out CatTimes.com for food and drink news, including my recent piece about cafe zones on Madison Downtown Streets.
0: Lindsay and I are both on Twitter and Instagram, so feel free to track us down there. You can listen for our upcoming episodes with bartender Carlin Langley. And hey, in the meantime,
2: tell a friend. We appreciate it. I am Cat Times food editor Lindsay Christians.
0: And I am extra greasy bar burger aficionado, Chris Lay.
2: Our wish for you this week is an iced latte and a donut from Shantytown. They are the best, you guys. Cheers! Cheers.
0: This podcast has been brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Once again, be sure to learn more at exactsciences.com.